We're looking to the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 20. I invite you to turn there. John chapter 20, the Gospel of John. And um, we're going to be just looking at a particular disciple this morning, a disciple by the name of Thomas, one who I think has much to teach us this morning. I got a call from um, an AT&T operator, so he said. What happened was uh, I had, uh, we had moved our internet over from Suddenlink to AT&T, and, and uh, as part of that, they gave us a reward card that was $150. And so, um, and so we had used it up. Well, we got a call from uh, someone who is an AT&T operator, and he said that the, the, uh, the promotion had been incorrect, and it was actually supposed to be a $300 promotion, not $150. And so um, he wanted to know my card number and my PIN so that he could reload it uh, onto my gift cards. I thought it was a little odd that he had a Jamaican accent, but uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I decided to, uh, of course, I had already used up the card, right? So here's the thing, though, is that, you know, uh, I use a program called Logos Bible Software, and in case you ever want to know, I'm just throwing this out there, if you ever want to get me a credit, Logos credit is always a safe way to go. So uh, that and Kindle credit, that is always a good choice. And wouldn't you know it, Logos is having a sale and there's an item I want on there that, guess what? It is $150. And I thought, man, if I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and give him my card number and my PIN number so that he can reload it onto my gift cards. And, and when he did, and in and, and sudden surprise, he says, sir, there is, there is no money on these cards. And I said, yeah, why do you think I want the extra promotion? <laughs> so... You know, and he got pretty upset with me and hung up on me, which I thought was very rude of AT&T to do. You know, there's just some things in life that seem too good to be true, right? When you get that note from Publishers Clearinghouse that says, you're a winner. And then you look inside and there's so many things you have to sign up for and so many magazines you have to subscribe to. But isn't there always a part of us that wishes it was true? Even though it sounds too good to be true, don't you wish there was a part of, isn't there a part of us that wishes that it could be that we really could live a life without suffering? That we really could live a life with no difficulties, that there's always enough money at the end of the month and there's always sun shining and the weather's always perfect. But then if, it's, if it seems too good to be true, what do we always say? It's probably not, right? Well, this morning we're gonna see someone who thought the same thing 2,000 years ago. That, it, that what he was being told seemed too good to be true, so much so that he shows some obstinate disbelief at first. But sometimes, some things that seem too good to be true, sometimes they are. He's gonna find that out. So let's look at John chapter 20. There is no PowerPoint this morning. I just want you to, for our note takers, I want you to just sit back and be ministered to by the word of the Lord this morning. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, it says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Oh, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So early on the first day of the week of this week in history, the most amazing event in history occurred. And when the women had got to the place where Jesus was buried, they walked into an empty tomb. <clears throat> and when they walked inside, there was a, a man whom we know was an angel who told them, you are looking for Jesus of the Nazarene. He is not here he is risen. The grave was empty. They were and immediately thought someone must have stolen the body, but then they saw Christ. It took them by complete surprise. By complete surprise. <coughs> In fact, I think it's safe to say the resurrection took everybody by complete surprise. No one was expecting this. That's why when um, you hear people talk about, you know, that they would, <clears throat> that they probably would have faked this or something like that. So why, why would they? No one was expecting a, res a resurrection. No one was thinking that this was part of the plan and such an integral part of the plan of that. They would have had no reason to do so. But it's understandable why you would think that because that's immediately what the first disciples thought. That's immediately what the women thought. But then they saw Jesus and the women came to the disciples and said that what the Lord had, had done and what he had said to them and they thought it was utter nonsense but then Christ entered the room with them and they saw him. And all their hopes, in that moment they recognized that all their hopes and dreams of what Jesus had come to do was incredibly short-sighted. He wasn't here to defeat the Romans. He wasn't here to defeat any national uh, power or imperial force. He was here to defeat death itself, our greatest enemy, to defeat sin. And they recognized that this was going to be a game changer. It was not only going to change their lives forever, it was also going to change the world forever, and that's exactly what it did. But there was one disciple who, who wasn't there when that happened. His name was Thomas. Thomas, or Thomas, means the twin. Apparently, he had a twin brother. We don't know that that was his real name. They, they kind of gave nicknames to one another. And Thomas means twin, so he must have had a twin brother. But he was one of the 12. And, and when they told him, I want you to look back at verse 25 and, and look at his response here and see if you can't identify with it a little bit. 
So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he says to them, watch this, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger onto the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe, never believe. You know, he's taken some criticism for this. In fact, a lot of people refer to him as the name Doubting Thomas. But I think we can understand this, can't we? I mean, hasn't for all of us here who are believers, and and as strong as our faith is, if we're not honest, are there not times that we have wondered, that we've entertained the thought that what if it's not true? I think doubts are okay. I think questions are okay. And that's what Thomas has here. He has questions. He doesn't understand the significance of what the other people are telling him. It sounds too good to be true. And usually when we say things or something seems to be good, too good to be true, what is it? it? Usually isn't. So listen, I don't, I don't know why you're here this morning. Many of us are here this morning. I look out and I see the, the faces of our covenant family here at Calvary. And I know you're here because you are here to worship the Lord and him alone for no other reason than because he is worthy of it. Some of you are here because you're here visiting with family, parents, grandparents. Some of you are here today because it's Easter and that's what you know you're supposed to do. As you go to church on Easter, you buy a new outfit, you take pictures and, and all of that. Listen, I'm not gonna criticize you for that because I am glad you're here. I am so glad that you're here. And I don't care if we get you once a year. I don't care if we get you 50 times, 52 times a year. I'm glad you're here and I'll take you anytime we can get you. Amen? Amen. I hope you've experienced the best our church has to offer. I hope you've met loving people who, who love you immediately. If you walk into our church, you immediately have like 70 new best friends. <clears throat> You have people who will, who will bend over backwards for you. <clears throat> you've listened to great musicians play and you've also listened to me play. And you, you survived that. Don't be surprised if someone invites you to lunch today because that's what we do. Don't be surprised. And yet the truth is, is that most of the year, maybe you live as though nothing really happened on that Sunday. Maybe you live as though what since defined so much of Western history has influenced the world is is really nothing but just a nice story to you. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's what you are wondering this morning. And beloved, I want to share with you what has so changed the lives of so many people in this room with you here today. What changed the life of Thomas. Most of us approached the gospel the same way Thomas did. And maybe you are here this morning and maybe you are Thomas. Maybe that's exactly what you're feeling this morning. Show me, prove it to me, answer my questions. We wanna do better than that this morning. We wanna show you Jesus. We wanna show you a resurrected Christ. Let's look at what changed Thomas's life so much. And I want you to see that in these next verses, we're just gonna look at the process that Thomas went through. 
He says, first of all, I want you to notice that when Thomas is in the room with them the next Sunday, he is still in his stage of doubting. He is still has his questions. Nothing has changed in his heart. But I want you to understand that when you come to Jesus, you are invited to come as you are. Doubts, questions, all of those things, all of your baggage that you bring, all of your past mistakes, all of your depression, all of your dependencies, all of those things, we want you here. This is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And Thomas was a sinner. Thomas was someone who needed hope in his life. It was something that he was devastated about. Why is it so much that Thomas is so questioning this? I mean, look what he says. He says, unless I do these things, I will never believe. This is more than, than just passing question. This is stubborn, obstinate disbelief. Why does he feel this way? He's being stubborn. You know anybody who's stubborn? Anybody in here stubborn? We got a few honest ones. The rest of you need to listen this morning. <laughs> we can be stubborn, and Thomas was being stubborn, right? Why was he being so stubborn? I think we got some clues here. He was discouraged. He was discouraged. They had placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, and as far as he knew, Jesus was dead. He says here in, verse 20, in Luke 24, 21, when Jesus is talking on the road with a couple of disciples headed to Emmaus and they did not recognize him at the time. And look what they say about Christ. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all these things happened. See, they did not understand the kind of redemption they actually needed. They did not understand. They were hoping for a kind of redemption that was merely nothing more than a physical redemption, a national redemption, a repair of their mistakes, a repair of their things so that they could have a nice, peaceful, and prosperous life, and then they could die. And they thought Jesus was going to give them that, but that is not the kind of Messiah he was. That was not the kind of savior he was. He had, they were so short-sighted. They were, their mind was fixed on the here and now. And they had placed their hope in Jesus and as far as they knew, he was dead. You know, nothing can bring stubborn obstinance like discouragement. You ever notice that? When you're so discouraged about something, you just become a pessimist. Life is a cup that's always half empty, never half full. Nothing can do that like discouragement. But not only that, he was afraid. There's an interesting little fact here. Look where the disciples are hiding. They're hiding behind locked doors. Not only was Thomas a discouraged man, he was a wanted man. He was a follower of a man who had just been crucified three days before by the Romans. They had no idea what was gonna happen. They had, as far as Rome was concerned, they were they were rebels against Rome. They were threats to the peace of Rome. And they were a threat to the Jewish religious establishment. He had no idea what was gonna happen. So because of that, he was adamant. Look again at what he says. Unless I see 
the mark of the nails on his hands, uh, the, unless I can put my finger in them, unless I can put my hand in his side where the spear was thrust through, I will never believe. In other words, he says, the only way I'm ever gonna believe is if I come to Christ on my own terms. <clears throat> my own terms. You know, sadly, when people come this way, it's usually a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what it usually becomes. Christ did not meet my terms, and therefore, I choose not to believe in him. Beloved, if that's the way you're coming to Christ, he's gonna disappoint you every time because he is the Lord. He is God. I think there's a lot of people here who can relate to that. Maybe you're discouraged. That's why you're no longer living an active daily faith. Maybe you're one of those I've heard people say before, I opened the Bible and it said, thou shalt not. And so I didn't and I closed it up and I've never read it since. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe life has taken a turn for the worse and you're thinking, I thought he was supposed to be a good God, but why is he letting this happen to me? Where's that goodness? It's not supposed to be this way. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here this morning. Maybe there's fear. Maybe, maybe it's fear that things are gonna get worse or maybe there's fear of death or, or maybe your life is going great right now and you're afraid that if you give your life to God, somehow all of that's gonna be taken away. He's gonna push you out of his comfort zone. What if it's not true? What if all of this it's not what it's all cracked up to be. But I think there's a root behind all of that. And the root, I think, here is in verse 27. Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place them in my side. Look what he says. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The root of all of that is simple disbelief. Whether that disbelief is is enabled by discouragement or fear, whether it is brought on by disappointment, whatever it is, the root of it all is disbelief. And there are different kinds of disbelief. There's stubborn, there's obstinate, there's discouraged, all of that. But it's all coming from the same root. When we are coming to Christ and asking him to meet us on our terms, that is essentially saying, Lord, I'm willing to give you a chance, but I still want to be the boss. I still want to have control. I'm not willing to surrender. I'm only willing to give, to give you an opportunity to give me the best. And if you don't, I'm just gonna go on to whatever seems to work later. But I would ask you this morning to consider Christ as he is. Consider Christ as he is. Look at verse 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were with him and Thomas was, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I want you to notice that Jesus comes and he meets them. He appears to them. And interestingly, he, he does this through a locked door. That door was locked out of fear. They were afraid the Romans would catch them. The Jewish authorities would catch them and all of this. And Jesus comes through the locked door and he announces peace. 
He comes to us. He meets us where we are. And then he calls us. He says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I want you to notice something here that Jesus is not saying that he was going to come to Thomas on his own terms. He was not saying that, Thomas, I'm going to acquiesce. I'm going to, I'm going to follow what you have told me to do. He says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it on my side. He's not saying, okay, Thomas, I agree to your rules. But what he is doing is he's meeting Thomas where he is. He's meeting him and he's providing him exactly what he needs to defeat his disbelief. By the way, Jesus is doing the same thing for you today. He meets you where you are. The God of, the loving God of the universe who created everything, who created you and me, who created mankind, humanity, to rule and manage the earth by his sovereignty. That same one who created everything is the loving ruler of the world. And he created man and woman to live on the earth in perfect harmony, to live under his loving rule. But that's not the way it is anymore because you see, we have taken, we have looked back at God, we have shaken our fist at God and said that we are not going to live with you over us, we are not gonna have you as king over us, we are gonna take the crown off of your head, we're gonna place it on our head, and we are gonna live the way we want to live. We are going to be our own kings the masters of our own fate. Beloved, the problem with that is is that we make a mess of things, don't we? We fail to rule society. We fail to rule our families. We fail to even rule ourselves. What makes matters worse is that God is not going to allow this rebellion to take place forever. He has assigned a time that he is coming again to judge the earth. And the penalty for sin is death and judgment. And it sounds harsh, and it is harsh. It's scary. But I want you to know that because God loves you, beloved, he provided another means. He sent his only begotten son, Christ, into the world. And Christ, Jesus Christ, lived in accordance with God's rule He never disobeyed his father, not even once, from birth to death, in perfect obedience, earning the righteousness that you and I need. Then he went, because he loves us, he went and died on the cross so that you, he could take the penalty of our sins upon himself. He died as a substitute for us, in our place. And even though he was fully dead, he was buried, But on the third day, the Father raised him from the grave. And that's what we're here celebrating today. That he was raised from the grave by the Father because Christ's life and death is enough to save you. And so God raised him from the dead on the third day. And so many people saw him and they left their witness for us. We're reading part of it now. They left their witness for us to read 
Dying, he saves us from sin's penalty. Rising, he gives us new, a new life free from the power of our sin. And coming again, he'll free us from sin's presence forever. Because there is a day when Christ is coming again. And when he does, he will establish his kingdom. He will culminate it. It will all be a new creation. It's okay to have questions. We all do. Maybe, maybe you're discouraged. Jesus meets you where you are. You feel controlled and beat down by life's turns and snags, addictions, depression, those things that are beyond your control. Beloved, Jesus meets you where you are. You don't have to clean up yourself before you come to Jesus. The one, the one uh, thing that you must have is that you must be a sinner. And that's all of us. And so we all qualify. This is the ultimate invitation that everyone who would come to Christ is welcome. Beloved, sometimes you hear Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. No, beloved, your heart has been locked down by sin, disbelief, and fear. He doesn't knock down, he doesn't knock on the door. He breaks down the door. He walks in and he announces peace. You are now mine. And he rescues us from sin and death. And we are now his children when we respond to him in faith. And that's really the response that we need. He did all of this so that you can be saved. What is our response? Number one, we must repent. Look what Thomas does. You say, why do I, why do I say that Jesus was not coming to Thomas on his terms? Why do I say that? Because did you notice what didn't happen here? Did you notice what didn't happen? Thomas never actually examined him. Thomas never put his finger on the mark of his hands. He never placed his hand in the side. He, look at what did happen. He never actually examines him. He sees him with his own eyes and the power of the resurrection overcomes all of his doubt. His heart is open and he renounces his demands and his rights. And he responds in saving faith the only way he can, that when Christ meets him and Christ comes to him and he sees Christ, there is no demands from Thomas. There's no more anything that Thomas responds the only way he can. He responds, my Lord and my God. That's the only way. That's the power of the gospel. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Savior, beloved, that is the gospel, and it can overcome every doubt you have. It can overcome every question. It can overcome your sin. It can overcome your addiction. It can overcome all of the things that you struggle with in this life. Jesus himself said, this life is short and full of trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And every question you have, you say, well, that's easy for Thomas, he was there. You say, Randy, I'm reading about it, I can read it, and I wish I was there, but I wasn't. That's great for Thomas, but what about me? I'm glad you asked. Because look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Beloved, I, I was not there. I will say that as the church, we have seen the risen Christ. The apostles who were the foundation of the church were the ones who saw him and they give the testimony and we carry that testimony on and on. So in a sense, we have seen the risen Christ. We know that he has risen from the grave. And that power of that resurrection has overcome our doubts and our fears. Don't misunderstand me. Are there still days that our faith is weaker than others? Of course there is. But the power of the gospel overcomes all of that. And even on our worst days, the power of the gospel is still our foundation and a hope and a well overflowing of overwhelming joy and peace. So beloved, I will ask you this morning, will you believe? The power of the resurrection is just as powerful for you today as it was for Thomas back then. Just as it was for the apostles. 12 men who at this time are cowering, scared, hiding from authorities, and yet they see Christ and all 12 of these men, with the exception of one, will give their lives for the testimony, bold, proclaiming the risen Savior. And by the way, the one who wasn't killed by the authorities, that was not for lack of trying. Not for lack of trying. They gave their lives so that you and I, 2,000 years later, could still be here today spreading their testimony of a risen Christ, a testimony that has empowered us, has created us new, and has caused us to have not, not a new turn in life, but a new life to begin with. We are new creations in Christ. And if you want that to be you this morning, I am begging you to respond. Someone told me one time, a big problem with preaching today is that preachers are too prideful to beg. I'm not. Will you please come? Will you please? I'm, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Please, will you place your faith in Christ and repent of your sins so that you can have eternal life? That's the response that he's looking for. And that's the power that will save you from your sin if you'll respond to it in saving faith. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask all of us to bow our heads and, and, and just reflect on what's been said. Maybe there's, I don't expect you to remember everything that was said this morning, but maybe there was something that just stuck out to you. Maybe there was something that penetrated your heart this morning and you're thinking about it. It's bouncing around in your mind. And yet you're still wondering, how is this going to help me with my issues? How is this gonna help me with my questions? Maybe you're here this morning and you're grieving. And you're wondering, how is this going to help me with my grief? Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with life. You know, I don't know exactly, specifically, 
how the gospel is gonna give you the answers you're looking for because I don't know your questions. But I do know this, that the gospel, Jesus Christ our Lord, crucified, risen, and coming again is what you're looking for. He has the power to save you. He always has, and he always will. We have those in here this morning who are, who are grieving just like, just like the disciples were grieving that day. You've lost loved ones. While I certainly don't want to belittle your pain, I want to encourage you with this, that Christ died on a Friday too. And yet Sunday he rose again. Beloved, if you know Christ as your savior, even though you die, you will live again. And that's the promise we have in Christ. That is the promise we have. And if you're here this morning and you want to know that promise, I invite you to come. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you wanna talk with one of the ladies in our church. If you're a lady, maybe you'd be more comfortable with that. There are ladies here who would love to talk to you. Maybe you wanna go to your Sunday school teacher or whatever it is you need prayer for, we invite you to come. Let's stand together. I'm just gonna ask you to keep your head bowed as our musicians play for just a moment. I cannot think of a better day to give your life to Jesus Christ. And though you may be grieving, you're not grieving without hope. Even though you may be suffering this morning as a Christian, you're not suffering without hope. Even though you're dealing with difficulties and things that seem to be controlling you and beating you down, you have hope. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You can have hope today. If you will accept him, repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone and his work for you. Our Father, we thank you for this promise we have, we, how we need it, Lord. This life is short and full of trouble. This life is, just beats us down sometimes. It's all we can do just to get up in the morning. It's all we can do just to get through the day. Yet, Lord, you've given us the promise of so much more that we, can, that we can base our life on and how we want everyone in this room to have that promise. So if there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day that you would break down the doors of their heart and you would rescue them from their captive sin and you would make them your own and that they would respond to you in faith.